0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning. So this is our scripture from 2 Peter 1, verses 19-21. through We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kelly. Well, good morning. It is uh, always uh, so good to be together. Uh, I don't know about you all, but I have been digging the weather uh, this fall. I, I do complain about the weather a little bit. You can ask my wife a little too much sometimes. Um, but, uh, man, these dry, warm days have been such a blessing. Yesterday I had uh, the, the privilege, uh, it was fun, to go to uh, the Mariners and A's game the day after they clinched the, uh, their first playoff in 21 years. Any Mariners fans in here? A couple? All right, that's good. So it is. fall is in full effect right now. Um, Am I, I, uh, yeah, am I converted to a Mariners fan? Uh, I'm a backslidden San Francisco Giants fan, so <laughs> They're in the AL, so yeah, I'll root for the Mariners for sure. so uh, there is a rule, an uh, unspoken rule in our church that when the, um, the shifting sports here, when the Seahawks play at 10 a.m, nobody t- talks about the score. so for those of you recording the game right now, um, no, but, you know, sports are an interesting thing as we think about the, the unity, the unifying kind of power of rooting for a common, uh, a common team. And I, yesterday, you know, in, in a lot of ways, when you go to a sporting event, it's like a worship event. And yesterday when I was at the Mariners game, Everybody's wearing the jersey. They're talking about the players. When, when things happen yesterday, even just a, kind of a, a, a low-end play, like not a, not a super exciting play happened, thousands of fans joined together in cheering for that. And it's, it's um, not hard to see the spiritual parallels uh, in our faith. But one of the things that we don't want to, to grab a hold of uh, that's related to, to sports fandom is this idea um, that we are only fans when things are going well, right? Or this other idea is that... what is happening on the field is very far removed from what's happening in our lives. And so today, uh, as we've gathered together, we're doing something different than we've done uh, typically uh, in our Sunday morning gatherings. We're, we're answering questions and we're asking questions. And as a result of that, there's been increased interaction uh, on Sunday morning as well. So one of the unifying factors for us when we gather is singing songs, Right? Yeah. We sing together these praises, these, these, uh, these truths about who God is, and the, the act of singing unifies us. Um, but then what often happens is then somebody comes up, a pastor comes up to deliver the word, and then it's him and us, right? And so in this series, what we've been trying to do is us, all of us together, wrestling with the truths of our faith. And so um, today we're going to be talking about a question that um, was, uh, again, submitted to us. All of these questions have been submitted to us about the Bible. Now, I have a, I have a memory. I grew up in the church. I have a memory of, of my dad in the mornings, every morning, sitting with a cup of coffee, and the Bible opened. And I remember at a young age thinking, I love to read books. I love to read stories. And when you read a story, you read it once through, and then you put it away. You're done with it. You return it to the library. You put it up on the bookshelf. And so I asked my dad, I go, Dad, why do you keep reading the Bible? Like, haven't you read it by now? Like, oh yeah, I've read it by now, he told me, many times. And, and you know, that, at that time, my dad was probably in his 40s, and so I thought, man, he's so old, and he's read the Bible so many times, does he really still not get it? Like, why does he keep reading the Bible? And so I asked him, I go, well, what is there, why do you keep reading it? And he says, He says, it is the living word. Like every time I read it, something new comes to me. God speaks to me personally through his word. So I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And so this morning, we're going to ask, this question that was asked of us is, what is the role of the Bible in our faith and life? How do we read it? What is the role of our Bible in our faith and our life? We can make this personal. What is the role of the Bible in your faith and your life? How do you read it? Now, if we were to ask this question outside of the, the church, how do you think people would respond? What do you think their answer would be? Well, there was a, a, a survey done recently by LifeWay, um, and they they asked the question um, of people outside the church. They said, Do you agree or disagree with this statement? The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. So they surveyed thousands of people in the United States and they said, agree or disagree? As a non-Christian, what do you think? Not surprisingly, non-Christians, 53% of U.S. adults agree with this statement. Actually, that's lower than I thought. I would think non-Christians, even more than that, would, would say that. But that shows that the the roots of the Christian faith in our culture are still pretty deep. So then they asked the question to those who claim to be Christian, or you could say evangelical, what do you think? How many of you think of Christians would agree with this statement? I was pretty surprised. 26% of Christians think this. Those that say, yeah, Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Bible, like, They believe in the Bible, but this is their view of the Bible. And this might explain why in this same poll that was taken, it it showed that 38% of Christians also believe that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth. You know what objective truth means, right? It's, It's not based on how you feel, uh, or, or even what you personally believe, objective truth, is always true. And so 38% of Christians believe that religious, matter, religious belief is just a matter of opinion, not what is really true. And so why do I connect these things? Well, for us as believers, if the Bible is just myth, then yeah, then our religious belief is also just myth, right? Right? But if the Bible is, uh, is true, then we have to deal with that question as well. So back to the question, what is the role of the Bible in our faith in life and how do we read it? Before we talk about this in the us sense as a church, uh, let's make it personal. So let's take a moment and answer these questions Just in small groups this morning. Turn to a few people. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. If you're sitting by yourself, you're gonna have to be bold and and move towards some people. And let's take about five minutes in, in small groups and ask these questions. What is the role of the Bible in your faith? Share that. What is the role of the Bible in your life? And we separate these because some of some people go, Well, in my faith it's this, in my life it's this, right? We separate that. Maybe it's the same, maybe it's different. And then how do you read the Bible? How do you approach it? How do you understand it? How do you process it? Are you ready? All right, let's take five minutes and go ahead and huddle up and do it. Okay. Well, bring us back. Some good stories being shared. Some good thoughts and ideas, I'm sure. So what is the role of the Bible in your faith? What is the role of the Bible in your life? How do you read it? Now, honestly, in in a church, we ask this question, and some of you probably felt like you had to say things that maybe weren't even true, because it can be a little humbling, right? We talk about our relationship with the Bible in this setting on Sunday morning. What is the role of the Bible in your life? For some people, it's foundational. For some people, it's good advice. For some, it's a dust collector, right? We have one. But boy, we haven't opened it in a while. What is the Bible? What is the role of the Bible in your faith? Well, it's got some good stories. Uh, whatever the pastor says it is the role, that's what it is. Or some of us feel it's a religious obligation. Well, this is just, if I'm, if I'm going to be a Christian, then I got to have this and I got I to put some time into it. How do you read the Bible? Is it timeless truths about who God is? Is it, a magic eight ball. Well, I need a word from the Lord today. Put my finger down on the page. The death of Josiah. That doesn't really help me today. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There's, a, there's an organization called the Gideons, which is responsible for, for distributing Bibles across the United States and outside of the country as well. And, um, it used to be, it's becoming less now, but it used to be very common, um, expected even, that in a hotel room, You'd open up the drawer of the the nightstand next to your bed, and there would be a Bible placed by the Gideons. And so many people that were at the end of their selves, some that had even reserved a room to kill themselves to end their life, would open that Bible in a moment of desperation and do just that. And they would invariably put their finger in the Psalms, which is right in the middle of the Bible, and they would read a lament from the psalmist, and at that so many of the Psalms start with a lament of the, the, the human condition and they end with hope in God. And so that God's word would literally save their lives in that moment. So, so how we read it, how we interact with it, it varies for so many of us. And when I was a kid, I definitely look, read it as a magic eight ball because my dad said this is God's word to me. And so what does it mean? What is it saying to me? As I've gotten older, my relationship with God's word has matured and deepened. And, and now it is the foundation for my life in such a way that when things, when, when competing um, truths in the culture um, come up against God's word, I recognize it. Because uh, I know God's word enough. I go, no, that's not who I am. That's not how God works. That is not true. True. So how we interact with the Bible is an important question, especially for the people of God. And maybe you even find yourself falling into that percentage of Christians that would have answered in the affirmative that, yeah, it's good, but it's, a, it's, not, it's myth. It's not absolute. So first we might want to answer the question this morning. Uh, for those that don't know, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Well, the word Bible comes from the Latin Biblia which means books. And so the Bible is a collection, actually, of 66 different books. Uh, It is written, the Bible is written by over 40 different authors spanning 1,500 years. And the original language of the Bible, some of you may not know this, but it's not English. (laughs) You laugh, but a lot of people think it is. They think it's King James English, you know, from the 1600s. The original languages of the Bible, there's actually three of them Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament, and a little smattering of Aramaic as well in those scriptures. So, this is the Bible. It's a collection of books. Now, what does the Bible say about itself? Well, 2 Timothy, I think, encapsulates the high view of Scripture that we have as Christians. The, what the Bible says about itself. It says, all Scripture, say that with me, all Scripture, all not some, not select parts, not the parts that I like, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you and me who have placed their faith in Jesus, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathed. I mentioned the Bible's written in three different languages. This God breathed word is a Greek word. Theopnustos. God breathed, God inspired. So we know as believers that human writers wrote down these words. And so in their writings, you'll see that reflected even their personality or their writing style. But God inspired, God breathed the words that they wrote down for us. Kelly read this uh, for us right before I came up here. We'll read it again. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so again, this, this connects with 2 Timothy. The, the words that these human authors wrote were born of the Spirit of God. They were inspired by God himself. You know, last week we talked about miracles, and and I have to say that there is a case to be made that the preservation of these scriptures themselves is miraculous. 1,500 years, 40 different authors, and yet there is a unified message through all of scripture, God's heart for humanity and his redemptive plan for us, for his creation. It's interesting, there's, just in the New Testament, there's 24,000 copies or portions of the New Testament that have been found uh, through archaeological studies and researches. And all of these, these pieces, you would think it would be kind of like that game telephone where you whisper in somebody's ear, and by the time it gets around, it's something different. You would think that 24,000 copies, that you would find very, uh, huge differences between them all. And what's amazing is that they all... Confirm each other. This isn't kind of like Christian myth. This is archaeological truth. They all confirm each other. And while there may be minute differences in a phrasing or a letter because it was copies of copies of copies, they are not substantial in any significant way. So when you think about a miracle, we talked about miracles last week. God's word, the preservation of his word as an ancient document, is miraculous. Now, one of the the big arguments against the the accuracy of the Bible, you may hear, is that there is a a big gap between when Jesus lived and when the accounts of Jesus' life were recorded. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, They didn't have copiers or printing presses back then. And so most of the Gospels that were written were copied by hand. So one person wrote it, and then another person copied that, and that's how they distributed the manuscripts in the ancient world. Most of those that were copied by hand that we have today were written within 30 to 60 years of Jesus' death. So that means that the the people that saw Jesus in the flesh were still around as these copies were being distributed. Let's compare that with some of the people that you may have read about in school. So uh, some of you read about in, in history class, you read about Caesar, And about the life of Caesar. Do you know how many um, copies there are of the account of Caesar's life? Ten. And the the nearest copy that we have uh, of that writing was a thousand years after he was alive. And yet we read in our histories, in our history books, in our classes, that this is an accurate depiction, an accurate truth of Caesar and the things that he did. We don't even think about it. But the closest copy we have is 1,000 years, not 30 to 60 like Jesus' life. Plato, you've heard of Plato. We have seven copies of the writings of Plato dated 1,200 years after he was alive. And there's whole studies and majors you can do on Plato's teachings. Again, nobody disputes their accuracy or or what they contain. Some of you read the book Homer, the the Iliad. Uh, There are 640 copies of that, so still a lot. But the, the nearest copy to when it was actually written was still 500 years after um, the original copy. So when we compare ancient manuscripts that we hold to as truth and accurate today in our culture, none of them are even close to the accuracy and, that we have in the Scriptures. There's one more. Um, some of you have heard of uh, the Book of Mormon. There's zero copies of that one, and yet there's a whole belief based on that, right? So the Bible is remarkably accurate. I'm not going to spend too much more time on that. In fact, we do a class several times a year here in the church if you're interested in learning more about kind of the, the textual criticism. So the, the question, one of the questions today is how do we read the Bible? How do we read the Bible? Do we read it as myth? Do we, do we kind of eat the meat and spit out the bones? Many of us, if you've read the, the, the Bible in its entirety, you come up against difficult, Things to understand. I was reading this morning in my, my Bible reading, I was reading the book of Daniel. And there's a, visions that Daniel has, prophetic visions of things that would happen in the future. And if you don't know history, you could read those and go, wow, that was a weird dream. I wonder what happened. But we actually know history that, that the dream that Daniel or the vision that Daniel had came to pass hundreds of years later with Alexander the Great. And Daniel actually records exactly what would happen when Alexander the Great's um, empire would crumble. Daniel's vision said four different leaders would show up and take parts of that kingdom. They never mentioned Alexander the Great in the vision. But years later, historians go, oh, look, this is exactly what happened. So how do we read the Bible? How do we understand it? What does it say to us today? I, I just want to give you uh, just five thoughts on how we should approach God's word. If we believe that it is the inspired word of God, that it is his truth, I would say one of the first things we ought to do is read it in reverence. We call it the what Bible? Holy Holy Bible. That connects with the divine power of God, the authorship of God, that it is of all books set apart, is the number one bestseller in history. But more than that, it is the divine words of God himself, his inspired recording. So we ought to read God's word with reverence. The other way we ought to read God's word is we ought to read it in context. Let me explain this a little bit. We talked about this before in our church, but the Bible is a collection of books, 66 different books, and it is not one type of literature, it's not one type of literature. How many of you ever read Lord of the Rings? Right? It's a story, right? It's an epic story. But even within Lord of the Rings, there is songs and there is poetry. You don't read the poem the same way you read the narrative in the story of the Lord of the Rings. So in God's word, in the Bible, there is history. There is law. There is poetry. There is wisdom. There is prophecy. There is narrative, like the story. And there is letters that were written to specific people in specific times and specific places. And then there's what we call apocalyptic literature. We talked about this a couple weeks ago that depicts this battle between good and evil in the end. So all of these types of genres of literature are contained in the Bible. And so when we read the Bible, we need to make sure we understand the context of the particular book that we're reading. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're, we have access to amazing study resources as believers that give us insight into the cultural history. When I read Daniel as a kid and I read chapter 10 and 11 about these things that were gonna happen in the future, I thought it meant in my time. Uh, oh, it's in the future as in my day today because we often read ourselves into the scripture, right? It wasn't until later when I took a biblical history class when I realized, oh, this is talking about Alexander the Great's time. Didn't diminish the power of it, but it put it in a context and I go, now I get it. And so we need to read it in context. So when we read Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and to give you hope. We stick our finger on that like a magic eight ball and we walk away going, that's for me. Well, yes, it is for you, but maybe not in the way that you think. That was written to a specific people that God had a plan for them, even in their captivity, even in their oppression, that God's faithfulness would be revealed to them. And it was. So we read it for us as a reminder of God's faithfulness, of, of his, the truth of his promise, but I'm not in captivity. <laughs> I, I don't have to wait to be freed from that. That's not, that particular context is important. You see what I mean? So we need to read it in context. You need to understand it, and this, this is, uh, I think, lends, moves to the next part, is it's important that we read the Bible in community. We read it in community. Uh, imagine some of the letters in the New Testament that, that Paul authored by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He would send these to the church, and we read them today. I imagine when they would get this church would get this letter, it wasn't like um, they would read it and then set it down and be like well wow, that was i 'm glad Paul wrote us a letter." They would gather together, they would read it out loud, and then they would go, "What does this mean for us? How does this challenge us? How does this encourage us in our Christian walk And then they would discuss it just like we 're doing today and so it is so important that we read the Bible in community. It gives us these checks and balances it allows us to see aspects of the scripture that that maybe others didn 't see. One of the things I love about our church family is we have people from different countries, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. And so when we read the Bible together, one person may see this and another person may see this. One person may be impacted by this facet of the story. Another may be impacted by this. And as we share those together, we go, oh, wow. Isn't God amazing? Isn't he beautiful? Is The things that he does are so important. So yes, read it by yourself but also read it in community. This is why we have what we call community groups. It's an opportunity for us to gather together and to wrestle with the truths of God's word together. The other one is we should read God's word prayerfully. Read it prayerfully. As the passage in Peter says, it was the Holy Spirit that inspired these words. It, It worked through these authors. And we as believers, guess what? We have the Holy Spirit. God says, God's word says that when we place our faith in him, he gives us his spirit. So when you're reading the Bible and you're going, I don't know what this means. Well, the same spirit that authored these words lives in you and you can say, God, would you show me what this means? Would you give me insight and clarity? Would you speak to me through your word? I cannot tell you how important it is for prayer to be a part of your Bible reading. And I can't tell you, for me as a, as a pastor, um, it's easy for me to approach God's Word and go, okay, academically, how am I going to unpack this for the, for the church on Sunday, and what points am I going to pull out, and all these things. But when I don't pray as part of my sermon preparation, it is different. When I do pray, oh my goodness, God's Word comes alive to me as I read His words. So read it prayerfully, and then my last thing would be read it continually. Now, this is where we get into a little bit of like that Christian culture or that like kind of like I'm not living up to being a good Christian. I can't tell many times I've talked with people and I'm like, how, how are you doing in your faith? Like how close do you feel to God? And one of the first things people say is I'm not reading the Bible enough. As if that's what they need to do. They need to do something to be close to God. And that something is to, well, to read the Bible. It's like homework, right? For the Christian. no. We read the Bible so that we know him. So that when our own affections may lead us to sin, it, the, the, the objective truth of God's word is, it stops us in our tracks. When we're wondering about what's going on in the world around us, God's word gives us hope in the midst of those trials. When you're wrestling with health issues, financial issues, when you're wondering if God still loves you, his word says, yes, I do. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we read God's word continually so that the truths of who he is are so a part of our life that they lead us in all aspects of our life. Not out of obligation, but God's word is a word of truth. One of my favorite stories, one of my, I'd say my life verse, is in the Gospel of John. And it's not a uh, Jeremiah 29 11 kind of thing. It's an interaction that the disciples of Jesus have with Jesus himself. Jesus is just given a difficult teaching, and thousands of people go, we're out. Like, we're not gonna, what he said is too hard. And this crowd disperses. And Jesus turns towards his disciples, and he says, are you gonna leave too? (laughs) And Peter says, where else would we go you have the words of life so that's why we want to read god's word continually because in it are the words of life the truth of god so what is the role of the bible in our faith and life in other words what authority should the bible have in your life do we separate that well in my fi- church on sunday it's the thing but monday nah <laughs> It's back on the shelf. What role, what authority does the Bible have? In what we call the Great Commission, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We often stop there. Okay, God is telling us to be witnesses in the the world around us. Let's do it. But Jesus continues, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. So what is the role of the Bible in our life? The word of God is central to the life of the believer. We are called to obey not just what we feel like obeying, but everything everything. The word of God is central to the life of the believer. And, that, and as the word of God, the actual word of God, going back to 2 Timothy, it is for our benefit, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that we, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when you read the words of Jesus, and you understand, you even see it in his life, that his words were a threat to the world around him, because he was claiming objective truth, and the world responded harshly toward him. And so when we as believers hold to the word of God and it is central in our life, we should not be surprised when we come up against the same thing, when we are called bigots or narrow-minded or science deniers or whatever you want, whatever label you've heard towards Christians, because we believe that God's word is central. But there's a challenge, right? When we find ourselves outside of what is accepted and popular in culture, there's a challenge to, to decide, do I really believe this book? Do I really believe it's the word of God? Do I really want to follow it? And so I, I, I oft, I've said this before. Often we nod and smile to scripture when we agree with it. But as soon as it touches on something that requires change on our part, we become theologians, and we go, okay, how, uh, did, what's the original context? What did that really mean? How can I? That's not, does that apply to me? I don't think it apply. You know, we, we all of a sudden start doing the Google searches, right? And this is a common challenge. This is not like a 21st century, you know, American challenge. This is a challenge that all believers have had to face. The, one of the early church fathers named Augustine. He addressed this challenge. He says, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. And isn't that an accurate statement for our world today? What I feel is true. What I want to do is true. We even say, my truth, as if it's something that's only applicable to me. And in our, we live in a post-truth culture where on one hand we say science is king as it relates to the environment. And on the other hand, we say a baby's not a baby until it's born. Like we, This is the world that we live in that truth is very subjective. And so don't be surprised when you hold to objective truth that you believe this is the objective truth we live, that people are going to take offense at that. So as believers, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. It is our objective truth. Everything we know about our faith and practice is tethered to God's word as it's been recorded in the Bible. In the 1500s, there was a, a movement within the church called the Reformation. And the, the leader of the Reformation was a guy named Martin Luther. And what he saw was creeping into the church was this exclusivity uh, between those that, like myself, that would be a priest or a pastor, and the rest of the congregation. So as a, if you were living in that time, you wouldn't even be able to, uh, to read this book yourself. If you knew how to read, you wouldn't have access to the Bible. And so what that allowed is it allowed control between the religious leaders and the people of the day. And Martin Luther said, man, there's a lot of things that are creeping into the practices of the church that are nowhere to be found, in in God's word at all. And we need to get back to God's word. And so the, the Reformation, one of the cries of the Reformation was sola scriptura, scripture alone as the guide. And so based off that, there was a guy named William Tyndale who says, I am going to take from the original languages and make an English Bible for the first time. I'm going to translate the Bible into English so that everybody who speaks English can read the Bible. Guess what happened to William Tyndale? Simply for wanting to make the Bible accessible to people. He was strangled and burned at the stake. By who? The church. The leaders of the church called him a heretic for trying to make the Bible accessible. Isn't that crazy? We have it on our phone now. Like, there's no excuse not to have the Bible. And so, our... uh, Ability to get into God's word, and the and the resistance to God's word has taken on many different forms throughout the history. So if you can't keep people away from the Bible, like was attempted in the Reformation, then in current cultural movements, there's been an attempt to edit the Bible, to basically take um, God's word. And make it seem a little less threatening. So we have in American history, we have slaveholders who all claimed to be Christian yet didn't live in in line with the Bible. They actually would edit the Bible, taking out huge portions of Scripture that had anything to do with freedom or being saved, which is the gospel. And that was the Bible they let the, the slaves on their property read. There's a museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. where you can see a copy of a slave Bible trying to control. So, okay, we can't keep you from having it, but we're going to edit it so that it's less threatening. So if you can't keep folks from it. So God's word is what we measure other truth claims by. And what's amazing to me is when you look at the history of, of slavery in America is that their attempt to control the narrative of Scripture didn't work. And that so many slaves still received the gospel, found the gospel, and gave their lives to Christ, despite the behavior of others who claimed Christ yet lived the opposite. So, if you can't keep folks from it, edit it. If you can't edit it, then you weaken its authority. And this is like the ancient question Did God really say? You know who the first person to say that was? The serpent in the garden. God spoke word, spoke truth to Adam and Eve as the, as the firstborn of all creation. And in the next scene, Satan is saying to Eve, did God really say you would die if you ate of that tree? We, I hear that phrase so many times in our culture today. Did God really say that this wasn't allowed? Did God really say that? Does his word really, do you really think that? Whatever the variation would be. So if you can't edit the Bible, you weaken its authority in the culture. And, you know, the number one concern for the early church that you see in God's word was uh, a concern about false teaching in the church, about false prophets. Jude 1.4 says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So if you can't keep people from it, then you change it. If you can't change it, can't edit it, then you try and weaken its authority. And I'll just end with this Psalm 19, verse 7, says this. says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. This is God's word for us. The power of God's word was evident when he spoke when he breathed creation into being. The power of God's word was evident when he inspired inspired these words to be written. And the power of God's word is what gives the gospel, literally the message of Jesus, the ability to change our lives. So church, as we wrestle with this question today, let's renew our commitment to the word of God. Not because we have to, because we need it. We need what the psalmist says God's word does. And in a world that is increasingly confused about any sort of objective truth, we need to know God and to be led by his unchanging truth. A truth that speaks to our hearts, that renews our minds, and that gives us hope for the future. Amen? Let's pray towards that end this morning. Father, we... This morning, thank you that we, we can be a church that reads your word in community, that we can wrestle with these, these questions, Lord, that we don't have to pretend that the culture is not asking them or challenging them. We don't have to pretend that we know all the answers or understand every little thing. We can be honest with ourselves and we can be honest with you, but we also know that we have you with us, your Holy Spirit here in our church family, both individually and as a gathering. And so, Father, as we think about your word this morning, I pray that you give us a hunger for it, to know it, to know you, a thirst for truth. And Lord, it would be, as your word says, it would be a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Oh, God, we need your truth. We need your love. We thank you for it. Thank you for your miraculous preservation. And Father, as we sing this last song together in unity, a unifying moment. May you, by your good graces, speak to us a better word, a living word that we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.